Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast series on impact, talking with entrepreneurs and organizational leaders who contribute to building a more cooperative and positive future. I'm Ursula York, the host of this series. I'm a mentor to business people who want to have a positive effect on the world around them, building strong businesses by creating value for their clients, team members, and the larger world. I am so passionate about sharing with you the stories of entrepreneurs and leaders who have impact. They're inspiring and energizing role models. I hope you use what you learn here to be inspired about what you can do in your business and beyond. Today's guest in this podcast series on impact is my longtime and dear friend, Doug Perry. Doug is a contractor in Toronto who specializes in interior residential renovations. His company, Village Renovations, gets new projects entirely by word of mouth, and he just shared with me that he has a waiting list till 2020. So that long waiting list and a long list of delighted clients is uh, the nature of Doug's business. He brings uh, compassion and people skills to work in managing his team in an industry that often sees people as disposable resources. A former corporate consultant and primary school teacher, he feels that people are his company's greatest resource and enacts that in his business every day. So welcome, Doug. I'm so glad you're here on the podcast. Well, thanks very much. So um, I know your your work life has gone through uh, an evolution over time, and what is it that drew you to doing the work that you're doing now? Well, it was a very indirect route. I mean, I stumbled into um, records and information management consulting just as a summer job that, uh, that I stayed with for a little while. And, um, but I wasn't, I liked the task. I liked uh, reorganizing and transforming the records uh, of businesses, but I wasn't very keen on the corporate environment. It seemed that all the decisions I was making uh, were centered around money uh, and nothing else. Uh, so, um, in in a bit of a desperate attempt to find something else to do, um, I reached out to the idea of teaching, probably without enough thought, uh, but uh, worked uh, teaching um, for Sylvan Learning Centers as a as a high school math uh, tutor, and then I liked it, so I went and got my teaching degree. But in the end, I found that it wasn't a really good match for me on an emotional level. I found I couldn't turn it off emotionally at night very well. And, uh, and, and quite frankly, um, the lack of control uh, over who arrived in your classroom got to me a bit. The, if you ended up with a very badly parented child, um, it, it became your problem. And I... And, I wasn't particularly good at dealing with those kind of kids, and and uh, and I didn't want to become so. And I guess the final thing is, although there was many things about teaching I liked, I, I found I wasn't really passionate about it. So that being all said, in my mid-30s, I sort of sat back and I said, well, what do you really like to do? And I happened to have um, a house uh, that I was in the process of renovating, and I thought, you know what, this is what I really like to do. I've been doing this kind of thing on the side for years. Um, since the age of 12, I was maintaining my own family's house because my parents were split. And, um, and I thought, this is what I really like to do. Um, so why don't I investigate it? So I did um, 
I ran a small handyman business. I then intentionally went out and got uh, an informal mentorship uh, for about five years. And then after maybe seven years in total, I, I opened up Village Renovations and, uh, and I've been at it for maybe uh, roughly 12 years. I remember when you started the business, so that's amazing. And it's done extraordinarily well. I, I know you touched on, in the description, you just gave about not wanting to be you, finding, finding the corporate environment, the consulting environment, so focused on money. Is that part of what makes your business unique, do you think, that it's, uh, it's, it's about more than income and money? Yeah, I, I mean, in essence, you know, in, in, in thinking about uh, what attracts me, what drew me, uh, which is the um, basically, I tr truly enjoy tra uh, the transforming of systems or environments into something that's more effective. Um, and the thing with consulting, the thing with consulting is is um, it was all always about money. And the thing with teaching is I didn't feel like I had the control that I wanted uh, in in the experience. And so this allows me to set ground rules, and the ground rules that I've set for my business um, are a little unusual in the um, in the uh, well, I think in many fields, but certainly within the uh, renovation industry. Um, my my focus is entirely on determining and addressing the needs of the client. Uh, I have no interest in in upselling, for example. Um, as I say to the clients in the interviews, uh, it doesn't really matter to me whether this is a two-month or a six-month project. Um, uh, I'm trying to. I'm trying. I'm here to try and figure out um, what's good for you, given your budget and uh, and given what what needs uh, you're expressing. You know, quite often. Um, they will want something bigger than I feel they really need. And while, while I also say to them, I'll do anything you want, um, uh, I will express, this is what I think might make, might make, meet your needs well, you know, and don't, and I will often say, don't go to the fancy so-and-so store or, you know, you don't really need to do that. You can achieve your objectives, um, uh, through this route. And I'll point, I'll point it out to them and then they'll, come back with me with what they feel um, and we'll, we'll, we'll na navigate a design. Um, I think the other thing is, is, is um, clients are sometimes surprised when I describe the interview as, as trying to find a good match. Uh, you know, the initial interview is certainly discussing what we're going to do, um, but it's also about them sort of assessing whether I'm somebody that they can work with. Um, and also I tell them that it's, it's also me assessing whether I'm a good match for them. You know, I'm not a good match for anybody that has a rental property that's interested in, in quick and dirty and taking shortcuts. It's, yeah, that's just not the kind of job that I find satisfying. So occasionally, um, occasionally I'll actually turn away business and, and say, you know what, I don't think this is, I don't think I'm the kind of person, uh, that's going to deliver what you want. And, uh, and, you know, the few people I've done that with have found it quite surprising. And also surprising to me, um, the vast majority of them have appreciated my candor. Yeah, I, yeah. I 
found that to be the case too when I've had those kinds of conversations. So you've really highlighted a number of really key things about what makes businesses successful. And I I just want to pull them out because I think that you kind of embody a lot of these really great principles about how you, how you do business and the, the way that your business has grown and, and the fact that you've got a five-year waiting list really speaks to that. But it's, it's about finding a good match, that whole idea of who's the right client for you and, and having it be a, a two-way situation where you're the right person for this client and this client is one that you really feel you can do your best work with. Um, I think that's a really important aspect of what you do and and the it's interesting what you said about that you have no interest in upselling and um, that is so unique I mean you're so focused on meeting the needs of the client that um, I mean in fact the work that you do often does involve an up it's perhaps not named well as an upsell component but you certainly end up doing more than the original conversation. Would that be fair to say that that happens a fair bit? Yes, we, we do more than the original. I mean, the quote that, the quote that I produce is quite detailed. It, it specifies in each task area, starting with demolition, moving through framing, heating, electrical, etc., exactly what we're going to do um, uh, with really nothing left out. And that makes, that ensures that what may be a long discussion up front um, the end result is very clear um, in terms of expectations. But at the same time, in the quote, um, I will put a section in called repairs. And uh, often, often we find things that need to be repaired. Quite often not um, because of the original structure or systems of the house, but because of some previous renovator that's done a rather bad job and, <laughs> you know, chopped a whole bunch of joists or or um, uh, uh, put lamp wire in, in, in the walls connecting. <laughs> the lamp wire that's designed to carry maybe four amps and connecting it to a, a circuit that's carrying 15. Um, so we find these things in the walls routinely and I will give the client in the quote sort of an estimate of I'm not sure what we'll be repairing but we will be repairing things <laughs> I've never actually seen a job where we're not and and based on my experience and sort of some clues that I can see from the outside I will I will say I will give them some approximate number between 5 to 20 percent uh, that they can expect to spend more uh, than than the quoted amount. So I say, you know, keep 10% plus or minus in reserve or keep 15% plus or minus in reserve for, for handling those things. So we the price can go up that way. Um, the other thing I often put into quotes is possible additions. And um, these are items uh, that would be nice to do um, if, if budget allows, uh, or things things that we've discussed but that we haven't decided on doing for sure, and a client with a uh, a more generous budget will often uh, add in several possible additions, and a client that's trying to keep keep an eye on the bottom line will will be far more s- selective about what they put in as possible additions. But generally, we know before we engage in the project 
um, what uh, what's going what's going to happen. It's very rare that somebody actually you know changes the entire scope of the project once it's started because my idea is that these things are well well thought through before before we engage. Right, which I'm sure your clients appreciate. And uh, I mean, that that's a really great way of approaching things, that it's all very conscious and upfront and clear, and then people can make their own choices, which is uh, a contract between, uh, between adults. It's a very mature way to conduct yourself in the business and with your clients, which uh, obviously has paid off. And as someone who's owned a couple of old homes and uh, anybody out there who's done any renovations, yeah, there's always surprises when you start opening things up. It's like, oh, look at that. My goodness. So, um, yeah, I can I can relate to what you're what you're saying. Well, you touched on uh, some things in in um your explanation of of the values that you bring to your business and uh, as I've said in other uh, interviews, I think that values play a really important role in looking at this issue of impact uh, because we're so informed by the values we hold, whether or not they're conscious or unconscious. So having clarity about your own values, it really translates into making conscious decisions about the impact that you want to have. So is how is your business a reflection of you and your values? In what ways have you have you brought those into your business? Well, I think integrity, for example, is really important to me. It was probably drilled into me by my mother, as as my wife will attest to. Um, and and but I, I, as well as just sort of operating. Um, from a position of integrity, I actually do a few things with the clients um, that that sort of spell out that this is the kind of relationship we're going to have. It's going to be one of mutual trust. You know, as I say quite often to them, I said, you know, I have to trust uh, at the end of the day that you're going to pay me because there's always there's always a you know a final payment to be had, and I'm always vulnerable that the final payment won't be made. Um, so, so, um, I have to trust them and they have to ultimately trust me that I'm going to do a good job for them. I mean, they don't know what shortcuts I could take. Um, um, they wouldn't even be able to identify them seeing them in the walls half the time, but they, so they have to be able to trust that, that I'm going to do a good job. And so on this basis of trust, for example, I don't collect any deposits, um, hmm. uh, we start the project, and I bill for work complete. So once, once, uh, and it reflects is reflected on the invoice. So, for example, once demolition and framing are complete to everyone's satisfaction, then I present a bill for that work. Um, and I find, you know, with current interest rates, uh, I keep a, I, I keep a, uh, a slush fund. In, in my business account that, that handles, you know, let's say up to extending the client $50,000 worth of credit. Um, and, you know, a true business person would say, well, you know, the opportunity cost of that is that, you know, you could be earning money uh, on your 50000 And But my attitude is, is, well, first of all, interest rates aren't going to pay me that much for my 50000 And second <laughs> of all, I think, I think the 50000 is far more far better invested in um, 
in supporting um, an atmosphere of mutual trust. Um, I think the other thing is is you know open open communication. Um, as I described, there's a very detailed quote um, and a discussion of repairs and options. Um, and as we go through the project, I like to meet with the client if I can every day briefly to describe what's been done, what things we've run into. And I find I, I got that actually from business consulting. I found that things work a lot better if if the person that you're consulting or doing work for is is kept uh, in the loop uh, yeah, yeah, on almost yeah. an almost a daily basis. Lack of communication often leads to problems. And, and, and the other sort of aspect to transparency is, you know, I, if there's a repair in the walls that needs to be done, sometimes a joist repair, for example, I'll, I'll say, you know, I don't, even though we have cuts, for example, in the joist, I don't think it's going to cause you any, any great problem. It's your choice. I mean, I can sister the joist and we can add this much to the cost of the project, but I don't really think it's going to be an issue. So, you know, um, we can go around it or, or, or sometimes I'll say, you don't have, you know, as, as far as I'm concerned, you don't really have a choice about doing this kind of repair. Um, because it's going to cause your tiles to crack in your bathroom upstairs if you do a new bathroom up there. So, and the other aspect of transparency is I don't I don't put a markup on my materials. Um, I say uh, I estimate how much materials are going to cost, but I say, look, I'm not going to put a markup on on materials. It's common to put anywhere from ten to forty percent markup, uh, and I, I I say I. I'm going to give you an estimate, and if you buy a fancier tile, well, that's going to put the estimate up a bit. Or if I, you know, decide that we need a, a slightly more expensive setting compound for, for, for something, that might put it up a bit, or, and there might be some things that put it down. But, but ba basically, if I won't charge a markup in exchange for, uh, you know, you accepting uh, whatever the materials cost, uh, you know, within reason. Um, as what the materials cost. So I like that aspect of transparency um, uh, as well as integrity in, in, in my transactions. Hmm. Well, it, one of the things that I so um, admire about you and the, one of the reasons I wanted to have you um, in the podcast is that um, you, know, you, you said something about, well, if I were a true business person, I would be using that that money for example in my account to earn more money and i mean i would very much counter that you are a true business person that you're but that you're conducting your business in a way that's in alignment with your values and it's become quite a profitable venture for you so that both of those things can be in harmony in a business and it doesn't have to be all about um the money at the cost at the expense of of your values so um yeah, I think that's really an amazing thing about you and your business. And I know we've talked a number of times about pricing and and that whole conversation about you're in such high demand, why not raise your prices? And you've you've come back to me with a very unique in 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 many ways answer. And would you would you be willing to talk about that? I I guess I'm 
uh, this is sort of part of the larger question of, of uh, what are the ways that you have impact with your clients and customers? Yeah, I, I, um, pricing is an interesting, is an interesting uh, is issue. I guess Village Renovations is incorporated, and it's primarily incorporated um, uh, as a protection against lawsuit because even with the best of intentions, uh, you know, people should be aware that when they hang a picture on the wall, um, if they happen to uh, driving that little nail in to hang the picture on the wall, if they happen to hit a wire in just the right place, they can burn down their house. Um, it, chances are very slim, and we're very careful in what we do, but there's always that remote possibility, so we therefore are incorporated. But I try not to run the business like a typical corporation. Um, you know, clients, for example, aren't just a source of money, and employees and subtrades aren't aren't there to exploit. I, I don't I don't have an interest in maximizing profits. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I quite actually don't have an interest in profit at all. Um, the um, uh, what I have an interest in is everyone making a decent hourly wage, including myself. So I, I sort of sometimes to clients I, I will phrase it as um, well, perhaps that just a, a, a decent living wage, um, and you know my clients quite often will, will make. Uh, well in excess of $100,000 a year, and if one of my employees makes 60, um, for, for, you know, skilled, skilled labor, um, or 50 or 60, but, but in the general scheme of society, that I don't think that that's unreasonable, and I think that's a decent living wage, and it also keeps them there, and, and it, uh, makes, it, it, it ensures that um, well, it ensures that it, it ensures that I keep them, and it ensures that I feel good about what I'm paying people. So, so the way I think about it is that I want to make a good hourly wage. I want my employees to make a good hourly wage, and my subtrades. And um, I don't make profit, for example, um, off off uh, the labor of others. Um, so. I will elevate uh, my employee's hourly wage by what I need for uh, workers' compensation um, premiums and uh, and the cost of truck and insurance and tools. For example, I'll put a I'll put a, a small markup on their wage. But basically, my idea is that after overhead, um, that that money goes to them. And obviously, I pay myself uh, more. Than my my employees because I actually <laughs> do more and have more responsibility, but so my pricing my pricing comes from that perspective, not from the um, you know I have two university degrees and uh, and I've taken just one course in economics, but the the business isn't about uh, you know examining the 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 profit curve and trying to maximize it. Um, you know, certainly I address what the market uh, the market expects, um, but but I'm not interested in sort of pushing up my cost uh, to to a maximum um, for for maximum return. It's mm. it's different perspective. Well, and you've also talked about the impact that your 
your decision to take that approach has on the families that you do work for? Do you, could you talk a little bit about that? Um, can you elaborate on what you mean by my impact on the families? Well, when you and I have talked pricing before, one of the reasons that you've you've said that you don't want to increase your prices is that you want to ensure that the service you provide is affordable for the families that you're working for, that it provides them with the kind of environment they have without stretching them to the point of, of uh, just making things extremely difficult for them. And I'm paraphrasing here from my recollection of those conversations, so feel free to, to uh, you know, edit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess with respect to the family, um, I, I target myself. I work only in one neighborhood in Toronto. Um, most of the time I, my commute is uh, five minutes or less. Um, because I happen to live smack in the middle of a bunch of old houses that that need renovation and and a and an upper middle class income bracket, um, I'm so so I'm I'm targeting I'm targeting that group, and I sort of have an idea of of um, what's affordable and different people are in different circumstances. Um, I will quite often try and talk people. The best way I have to control. Uh, my impact on the fa- on the family is actually um, trying to con- you, you can get swept up in renovations you can start a process and then and then you can you can go wild with renovations and at the end you have a really nice product but you're also stuck with this sort of renovation hangover in terms of your line of credit or or, or, or your when you roll your renovations into your next uh, your next mortgage settlement you suddenly find yourself paying maybe a lot more than you want so throughout the process particularly during the pro- during the process as well when the project's actually going on and people are tempted to add 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 um, you know, I'll gently re- gently sort of remind them about what the objectives were that they were aiming for initially um, and say you know the shower head that I, the shower set of shower controls that I have at home were one hundred and fifty dollars, and they've worked very well for the last ten years. Um, you don't necessarily need to spend, um, you know, two thousand dollars on a set, unless unless that you feel is within your budget and it brings you um, uh, the comp- a comparable amount of satisfaction and joy. I always say spoil yourself, spoil yourself on a, on a few things, but try and try and keep it in check. I'm not also not interested. I've had opportunities to go into sort of the more uber rich neighborhoods in Toronto. I had a connection briefly with um, uh, an interior design magazine and its editors, and uh, and th- there's a certain upset in a world where you know. 40,000 children die a day because of uh, lack of, um, because of inequi- inequitable distribution of wealth. Um, spending two or three hundred thousand dollars on a kitchen seems to me obscene. So I don't actually want to participate in that market. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm wandering off on trails a bit, but I, but I, I would say that, that um, my impact on families is we try and charge them uh, 
a middle-of-the-road rate and produce for that a, a sort of a top-line uh, uh, product, and, and not, not, not in terms of the labor that we put into it. We do it the same way as a really sort of top-level um, outfit would do. And, and because I feel good with that, I'm willing, I'm willing to sort of sacrifice some of my wages for, for that. And, uh, but mainly in terms of keeping costs under control, it, it's mainly, you know, sort of guiding them through the process and making sure it doesn't get out of hand, um, which it easily can. Hmm. Yeah, you, you talked about um, uh, a lot about how you think about your business and how you're how you decide to move forward and also to to work with people is and and you really are an agent of positive change i mean for lack of a better uh better term i think that that one really applies to you because you're you're really looking at all the people involved in the process the the folks who work for you the client and include yourself in that and you're thinking about the, about society at large, has has this desire, this this approach that you take, is that something that's evolved over time, or did you have you always felt this way? Um, I guess, I guess, uh, to 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 some to some degree, my values have sort of pushed me in this direction uh, more unconsciously initially. Um, and it's the way I was brought up, um, and certainly my experiences with consulting and teaching were pushing me in a different direction, and I and I found a place where where that works. I'm also passionate about, you know, very passionate about the the process of renovations too. It's a it's a field that really interests me. Uh-huh. Um, I've never seen yeah. anybody so excited about going to Home Depot. <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid. I mean, I go to Home Depot less and less now because <laughs> I, I have my actually my 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 shopper drives <laughs> truck and picks around, picks up things. But I do turn up there, you know, probably once a week for something, and I, at least half the staff I. I, I know I know my <laughs> name, and, and I know about their children. Um, the um, so, so unconsciously, I've been probably pushed in this in in, in this direction. Um, what I've found interesting um, over time has been my relationship to my uh, to my employees and to my sub trades, um, and that that has sort of changed over the time. For example, with sub trades, I pay them by the hour. Um, um, we don't establish a cost up front. Uh, in my quote, I, I sort of figure out roughly how many days or hours they're going to be there, and I have an idea. But I don't. I, if I want something done, uh, you know, very well uh, in terms of, let's say, where you place ductwork. I mean, there's ways of getting ductwork in that interfere with the aesthetics of a place, and, but for a little bit more work on the part of the person installing it. You can you can achieve a much better aesthetic effect, and you know if these guys were getting paid by the job, 
they would be far more resistant to doing it the way that Fussy Doug wants. Uh, <laughs> but because they're being paid by the hour uh, and at a fair price, um, um, they will they will humor me, and the end result will be will be better. Um, I depend on that they're going to work hard, so I have to select sort of honorable people uh, as my sub trades. And in a in an environment where many people in renovations are are adult children, um, it, it's it's tough tough to find. But over the years, I've managed to put together some good sub trades, and the other. And the other aspect is that I really didn't ex expect and, um, and that I've enjoyed seeing evolve is my relationship to my, my direct employees. Um, I never expected to be an employer. I, it, it, just, it just, well, you know, I graduated from, from university uh, on the dean's list and and I was one of the top people in my high school, so you know, renovations in the first place wasn't a field that I was supposed to consider. <laughs> um, and and for some reason, I never pictured myself uh, as an employer. But but I I really enjoy teaching the employees new skills. It's I guess a bit of the teacher in me. Um, and I've I've really find fascinating a consideration of both their assets and their limitations. You know, everybody comes to you as a package that you, a, a whole package that you either have to accept or that you can't accept. But if you choose to take them on, then, then you've got to sort of figure out how to deal with their limitations by understanding, by understanding their psychology. And, um, and I find that really, I find that really interesting and I find it interesting to sort of nurture them um, both in terms of their skills and in terms of teaching them or helping them learn to cope better with whatever psychological limitations they might have. I mean, some people are terrified of making a mistake uh, for very good reason, uh, if you actually hear what their upbringing is like. Um, and uh, so that's the situation, and how are we going to cope with that? Because we're actually never going to get rid of that fact entirely but how are we going to make it work for both employee and employer better? So that sort of mentoring aspect I, I enjoy. I mean, I'm not, I'm not always patient. As a fact, matter of fact, I wouldn't call myself a patient employer, but uh, most of my employees know that I have a fairly good heart on, underneath it all. Ultimately, I'm interested in what's best for them. Um, uh, because I'm not really interested in, well, I'm interested in them as people. I've had several employees that have been fantastic, but really their heart wasn't in renovations. So I've spent lunch hours encouraging them to pursue uh, cert certain passions and dreams that, that they've had, and we've recognized that employment with village renovations will be a means to, a means to that end. Um, I've uh, switch people over to part-time so they can pursue things. Uh, as long as I can accommodate their needs and stay viable financially, uh, I'm, 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 willing, I'm willing to do it. So this whole relationship to sub-trades and particularly employees ha has been something that's more conscious and, uh, and has been much... Um, has been sort of richly, richly 
uh, rewarding. I've even t- intentionally taken on people that have have uh, um, been had trouble with alcohol um, as a way as a way of giving giving them an opportunity uh, where where others want it. Um, and you know, we 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 cope with with the things that have to that people have to deal with in life. Um, and and uh, so I, I feel good about that approach. Hmm. I'm very struck by the the interplay between the financial aspects of your business and all of these things that you're considering and taking into account in the conduct of your business. The the psychological makeup and well-being of your employees and uh, factors related to your clients. I'm I'm just. Uh, I mean, I think this is your business is is kind of a sterling example of what I call consciously impactful businesses where there's yes, there's an absolute focus on making money because that is what makes the business viable. And there's the whole other aspect of all the stakeholders in your business and how is your business benefiting them in some way and including you as one of the stakeholders. So um, I'm, I'm. I think it's. Uh, I think that you probably, in ways that you don't know, have an impact on um, your industry and certainly the community. Do you have any thoughts on that or insights into that from feedback you've gotten? Um, I think you know. In the in this world, you can you can. Um, See your efforts as as being meaningless, or you can see your efforts as uh, being an example. I, I don't actually set out to set any kind of a, a, a example. Uh, I just run my business in the way that I feel in the way that I feel comfortable. But indirectly, it, it does perhaps uh, set set some kind of example. I have a a lawyer friend that calls me Comrade Doug because you know my my political aspirations are are a little bit a little bit on the socialist side. In in a much larger perspective, um, you know I think we can all agree that centralized socialism, the experiments uh, with Russia and and uh, and Cuba have, have sort of failed. Um, I actually believe that some type of decentralized cooperative socialism would actually make the world a better place. Uh, I, I find it funny that that um, we run our world, our capitalist world, with corporations as the central engine, and it's very hard to argue against the fact that most corporations their actions are are very similar to um, that of a sociopath in nature. I mean, if you watch the movie The Corporation, I think this really <laughs> very directly spells it out. Mm. And so while I recognize that I'm operating in a capitalist world and, and while I recognize that I'm operating a corporation, I, I, I refuse to play by the rules that that um, most people feel are un, are unchangeable um, uh, within that system, um, I am not 
we're going to be viable, but money is not the top priority. Um, uh, we are going to um, we're going to try doing things much more cooperatively with with other considerations coming into play, and and you know I think I think people in society have this strange idea that well capitalism isn't great but it's the only way but I think you can metamorphosize um, and and move away from some of the and question some of the primary tenets of 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 business. I mean, anybody that says, well, you know, I had to make that decision even though it hurts somebody because uh, that's business. I, I, think, I think that's a, a very narrow view. Uh, I don't think business has to be that way. And I would like to see the world uh, move away from, from feeling that the attitudes and mores of, of Wall Street are really the only way to to six to succeed. Um, so that's that's you know that's Doug the communist speaking. <laughs> well, I think you know politics aside, I think there's very many ways to run the company, and um, I think things are shifting so that um, you know the, the kind of Gordon Gecko approach to to uh, capitalism is uh, happily falling by the wayside and we're, we're kind of turning to a more global vision of how we can approach things in a way that both results in a successful, profitable company and have, um, all, the, uh, have all the stakeholders in mind in the context of doing that. I mean, Whole Foods and uh, Patagonia and companies like that are, are great examples and you're exemplifying it in what you're doing as well. So are, are there ways that, are there obstacles or issues that you've come up against in, in formulating your company in this way and choosing to run it in this way? And I mean, of course, we all have those. Um, and would you be willing to talk a little bit about how you've moved through those obstacles? Yes, the... the, the um I guess there's two primary obstacles. Uh, one is is you know you, you, in basing the relationship on sort of trust and mutual trust and respect, you occasionally have somebody that um, takes advantage of sort of the goodwill set up. Um, they take more time than reasonable for their the uh, consultation. Uh, with respect to their project, or they ask for a bunch of con uh, consultation that's really outside of the scope of the project. And, you know, that's one that I've run into and I've been sort of caught uh, caught up in um, because essentially I'm out to please the client. But if it gets, if the demands get too extreme on the part of the client, you can find yourself <laughs> engaged in engaged in discussion to the point that you actually doing things and, and meeting your meeting your uh, meeting your quote is is difficult so usually in the uh, usually in the um, quoting process I get a sense if I'm dealing with somebody often they can't help themselves it's, it's often it's often not malicious um, uh, 
actually, I've never run into a case where it's been malicious abuse of my goodwill. It's 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 been been their nature, and so I will put in, um, and I'm doing it more and more just as a matter of routine. Um, uh, a, there's you know quite often a a planning cost uh, uh, section to the quote um, that includes things like the planning and drawings that are required to get building permits. Uh, so I will work into the quote basically that uh, some some expectations on how many hours a day of, of consultation or how many hours usually a week of consultation. Um, I'm, uh, I feel they've, they've, they've paid for as part of the quote and I'll make it clear that consultation outside of the scope of the project or consultation that's in excess of those hours um, is billed by the hour. And quite often that acts as a, as a limiter for the client if I actually say, well, you know, this isn't really within the scope of the project. You know, I'm happy to discuss it with, with, for free briefly. Um, but if we really get into designing your garage while we're building your kitchen, um, that's... Uh, you know, I'm going to bill you. I'm going to bill you separately for it, and then then it then it stays fair. The the, the other the other thing that happens because I don't take a deposit. Um, occasionally, I've had to scramble around and schedule in people, or schedule in new projects for when somebody cancels at the last minute. Um, some people cancel at the last minute for a very good reason. They lose a job, or um, or uh, they've suddenly decided that they really need to move, and and those I those sort of you know even if I took a deposit, you know I, I wouldn't keep I wouldn't keep somebody's deposit if they've just lost their job. Um, there are perhaps a few people that have not really had a good reason. It's sort of at their whim uh, that they said, ah, you know. Uh, We've decided not to do this, and they've given me three weeks' notice. And then I sort of have to scramble around, and you know, I've got a big long waiting list, but that doesn't necessarily mean that all the plans and permits are are done for the next the next person coming up. So I've you know a couple times I've been scrambling, but I feel that scrambling is a a small price to pay for. Um, uh, sticking to my principles about not taking deposits. For the most part, you'd never keep a deposit anyways. And I'm not interested in the ill will of keeping a deposit um, for a project that doesn't go through, even if it's, even if it's uh, in my mind, doesn't seem really fair what they've done. Uh, you know, most people, in their mind, it does seem fair. So you're going to end up with ill will. And uh, it's, not, it's not that important to me. Mm. Is is there advice that you would give an entrepreneur who's um, looking at how they want to conduct their business and have the kind of impact that you've been talking about on all the people involved with their business? Is there, there something you would share with them in terms of them being able to positively affect their own environment and the larger world, how they might approach that? Well, yes, I, I, think, I think it's important to define your market. Um, I think it's important to really determine 
for, for, for businesses that aren't so straightforward as, as renovation to determine whether there's truly one there. And then, and then if, if you feel there is a market there for your services or what you desire to do for people, um, then really be focused on meeting the needs of that market. And the, the needs of the market are the needs of the individual clients and customers. I think, you know, this is basically a summary of what I've, what I've been saying you know, treat people openly and, and with utmost integrity. Um, uh, and I, I would say don't feel that you need to be cutthroat to be successful. Um, you know, my, my employees and I, we're not getting rich, but we're making a reasonable living. And, um, and we've, we've had a fair degree of success with, without, um, you know, worshiping the bottom line and and uh, it's, not, it's also more interesting to take into account uh, a variety of dynamics beyond money um, and, and uh, so I think you'll find yourself having a, a, a richer um, vocational experience uh, as, a, as a side benefit aside from feeling good about yourself and what you do, I think you will also find it a, a far uh, richer experience. Mm. That's great. And it's certainly played out in, uh, in a very positive way in your business, not just financially for you and the people you're working w- who work with you, but also with your clients and customers and um, even the people at Home Depot. So... <laughs> <laughs> So um, thank you so much for uh, having this conversation, Doug. I've uh, so enjoyed talking with you about your business, and uh, thank you for sharing everything that you have in the call today. Well, I truly enjoyed it. Uh, it, it. It gave me the opportunity to, uh, to, to, to think more in, in, in a larger perspective, and, uh, and uh, yeah, and I've enjoyed the interview itself. Oh, that's great. So if people want to get in touch with you, uh, what's the best way for them to reach you? Probably through my email. Um, it's uh, village, uh, as in small town, uh, renovations, plural, at gmail.com. Okay, great. Thank you. So for those listening, join us for more podcasts on impact. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast channel on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll be notified as soon as new podcasts are available. Thank you to everyone for listening, for being here. Until next time, keep that positive flow of energy going in your business so you can have your own impact.